And if you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, I'm going to share verses 45 through 52 with you. Not what you would probably be expecting, a passage you'd probably be expecting. I am on for once. Probably not a passage you'd be expecting on uh, the Sunday before Easter, but bear with me and you see that it makes, it makes perfectly good sense. Just to give you some background on what's going on here. Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. Jesus waited three days before he went to, went to get him, went to his house. Lazarus was in the tomb, buried in his grave clothes. And Jesus simply went in front, of the in front of the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Many of you have probably heard this, but for those of you that haven't, why was Christ so specific in saying, Lazarus, come out? Well, he was that specific because there is such power in Jesus Christ if he had just said, come out, every dead thing in that tomb, every, every bug, every insect, every spider, everything in that tomb would have gotten up and walked out of there. But he was specific. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and that, that last miracle right there was the one that put the religious leaders of Jesus' day over the edge. And in their minds, they had no choice now but to kill him. They had no choice now but to kill him. And we're going to pick up here with the religious leaders meeting together in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 45. And if you're physically able, out of reverence to God's word, if you'd stand, please. Beginning in verse 45, we read, Then many of the Jews had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now he did not say this of his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. He did not say this on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but only, but, I'm sorry, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. May God bless us by the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. You may be seated. Hours, <clears throat> if you will, the last human hours of our Lord and Savior on this earth. As we see here, the, the, the Jewish leaders sought to kill him. And, and, and you can see how, how they had become so hardened to him uh, in, in verse 48 because they made the statement, if we leave him alone, uh, everyone will believe in him. And they will come and take away both our place and nation. They weren't, they weren't as concerned. Uh, 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 
They weren't as concerned of doing the right thing before God as they were about sealing their stature in the community, sealing their place in, in Jewish religious life. So they decided, we, we got to kill him. And we wanted to take a look now at what Jesus went through those last 24, 25 or so hours, if, if not a little bit longer. Well, according to Jewish tradition and, and the tradition of most folks in that day, he probably woke up at about 5 or 6 in the morning because back in those days, you, you worked either before the sun got up or you definitely worked when the sun came up. So he probably got up about 5 or 6 on that, uh, on that morning, did whatever he did during the day, and we read many accounts in the different Gospels of what he did, but uh, one of the things he did was he told one of the disciples, he said, you know, go in and, and, and uh, tell so-and-so that, that we need to use his house. We need to use the up, upper room for, for the Passover meal tonight. And they did that. And so they went in and they had the Passover meal. Now this Passover meal was, was unique from the other ones because this Passover meal, if you will, in the sense of the church, is kind of a transitory time because it's going from honoring the Passover when, when God... Uh, sent the, de the death angel through Egypt and passed over the, the houses of the children of Israel. And it's be, from here on out, it's going to become known, at least for the Christians, as Christ being the Passover lamb. Christ was the one whose body was going to be broken. Christ was the one whose blood was going to be shed and, and put over the doorpost of our, of our hearts. So, so it was different. Judas, of course, betrayed him, and he's gone. Well, after the meal was done, they left the upper room. Peter, James, and John traveled to Gethsemane with Jesus, and Jesus asked them to stay and pray, but we all know what happened there. But while they were in Gethsemane, all the while Caiaphas and the religious leaders had, had the wheels turning. What are we going to do to get rid of this man? What are we going to do to set everything in motion? They knew Judas, Judas you know, they... They knew Judas was coming back, but they were thinking, what do we have to do to get things in motion? And, and, and really, he was also thinking that there were three things Caiaphas had to get done that night. Three things he had to get done. Number one, he had to make sure that there was a trial for Jesus. Number two, he had to get a ratification of that guilty verdict, which he knew was going to come from the Sanhedrin at the temple. And then thirdly, he had to make sure that Pontius Pilate approved of the verdict and issued the death sentence. Because see, the, the, though, though Rome gave Israel a lot of leeway in governing themselves for anybody to get convicted of murder and sentenced to murder and be executed, that had to go through the Roman government. The Roman government had to approve it. So they were doing, he was doing this, Caiaphas and the religious leaders were doing this, and all the while Jesus had been praying been praying for some period of time. And, and we read about the disciples falling asleep. And, and, I, and I find this kind of interesting because lots of times back in those days, fishermen worked at night. And so you would think that Peter and, and, uh, you know, and James and John would be used to being up at night. They, that they could have stayed awake and prayed with him. But, but we see several times the Lord came back to them and they'd fallen asleep. Bible tells us that while he was praying, he sweat drops of blood. And a lot of folks think, well, you know what? There's no way this can be possible. But it, it can be possible. It is possible. And, and there's a medical term for it if, I'm pronouncing it, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's called hematidrosis. 
And this is a situation in the body where the capillaries and the blood system dilate so much and so broadly that when they come in contact with the sweat glands on our body, they burst. Capillaries burst and blood is exuded through the body, uh, through sweat, usually over the entire body. So that's how we know that, that it, it was true that Jesus could have done that. We read about that in Mark chapter 14, 51 and 52. Well, after praying, Jesus said, here they come. And of course, I'm paraphrasing that. He was arrested and all the disciples fled. After he was arrested, Christ was taken to the home of Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time. His father-in-law, Annas, had been previously, the year before, had been the high priest. Annas, the father-in-law, is believed by, by church historians to have owned the money changers' tables and the, and, and the animal markets. And you remember those, that's where Jesus had gone in at the beginning of his ministry and at the end, and says he overturned the tables of the money changers. See, Annas, the way he was making his money is he was extorting money from the people when they tried to come offer sacrifices. It's a whole other story I, I can talk about some other time. So he was arrested, the disciples fled, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, and he had his arraignment there. And while he was there, Luke chapter 22, 63 through 65, tell us that he was beaten and mocked. Well, how was he beaten? Well, where, where they kept him, and, and Tammy and I got to see some of this when we went to Israel, there, there was an area like a, like a pit or a dungeon. At this first point, it wasn't exactly like you see it in the movies. It was a pit uh, or, or a dungeon. Holes were carved in the dungeon above and below to tie the hands and to tie the feet. So, so uh, according to the way the Jew, Jewish religion did this, again, we don't know specifically that it happened to Christ, but it follows it would happen based on what happened in Jewish tradition and Roman tradition of punishment. He was basically suspended, and they whipped him. The whip they whipped him with contained 16 straps which held pieces of metal. And they'd whip him and then they'd yank it back and the metal would just tear his flesh apart. To make matters worse, according to Jewish law in that time, or Jewish tradition for punishment, there were two holes carved in the rock on the floor, one to hold salt, one to hold vinegar. And they would dip the tips of the whip and the salt and in the vinegar, and then they'd, they'd whip the victim with it. So the salt and the vinegar would, would cause it to sting even more, uh, even more than was given. But the Jewish leaders, they were, they, were, uh, they were compassionate in this though. Because by Jewish law, you could only whip somebody 40 times, but out of their compassion, as a rule, they only whipped somebody 39 times. Because if they went the total 40 times, they thought, well, maybe we may have messed up and whipped 41 times. And if we whip somebody 41 times, then we're in sin. And so they made sure they only whipped somebody 39 times so they could legally say that they were without sin. After all this was done, and perhaps in between the periods of his interrogation uh, and the trial before the religious leaders, Christ was more than likely kept in something like a cistern. Cistern is nothing more than a well about 30 feet deep with only one way in and one way out. You were lowered and raised by ropes. Tammy and I also got to see what, what they, they, they believe at, at Caiaphas' house was, what was the cistern where, where Christ was placed. Some things need to be seen about after his punishment and going to trial before the Sanhedrin. Number one, it was an illegal trial. 
according to Jewish law, whenever the religious leaders got together to have a trial, it had to be done in the daylight. But this trial occurred in the, in the late hours of the night or wee hours of the morning before sun came up. They could not get any witnesses to agree during this trial, but according to Jewish law, you had to have two or more witnesses to verify something as being true or as being false. It didn't happen. Finally, out of frustration during this trial before the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas asked Jesus, in the name of God, are you the Messiah? To which the scriptures tell us, Jesus replied in Matthew 26, 63, I am as you say. Well, at this point, there wasn't any need for a vote of the priest. According to their law, Jesus had committed blasphemy right there on the spot. And because of that, he was worthy of death. After this happened, the guards started slapping him because he, he wouldn't answer the questions of the religious leaders. Those slaps more than likely, according to the way the, 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 the Jewish prison guards or whatever did things, those slaps soon probably progressed into heavy punches to his head, to his chest, and his stomach. More than likely, when he, when he doubled over from the blows to the stomach, he was, given, he was hit to the head to, 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 to raise him back up and, and to stand him upright again. They spat in his face. They pulled the hair of his beard out. They pulled the hair of his head out. They blindfolded him, struck him, and commanded him to prophesy, who is it that hit you? Perhaps he gave out. Well, if he did pass out, the process then, according to, to Jewish tradition, was he would be held up until he was strong enough to stand on his own again. All that really mattered to these guys was that he, was that he would be alive that he'd be conscious for the execution that was to come. This treatment here at Caiaphas' house probably lasted somewhere around a half an hour. Physicians studying this thing, how the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman soldiers carried out their punishment, figured that at some point he probably passed out. When he passed out, they said his eyes probably rolled in, up in the back of his head like he was going into shock. You got to keep in mind his face was gouged, it was raw, it was battered. The guards had trouble standing him up. And more than likely, they probably, before they took him from Caiaphas' house to Pilate, they probably cleaned him up a little bit because they didn't want Pilate or, or anybody else feeling sorry for him and say, This man suffered enough, so let, let's not kill him. So they took him to the temple then, where the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders were going to see him. More than likely kicking him when he stumbled and in an attempt to get him to walk faster. In the temple he was able to, according to the scriptures, he, he stood before him so he, he had enough energy to stand. And he was of course convicted by the Sanhedrin and taken to Pilate. He stood before Pontius Pilate. The charge opposing Caesar. The Bible tells us that, that Pilate found no guilt in him, but knowing that Herod was in Jerusalem, sent Jesus to Herod. This was done for two reasons. Number one, Pilate wanted to get in good with Herod. And secondly, he didn't really want to have anything to do with this trial. They sent him to Herod. Herod also could find no fault in him, regardless of what the Sanhedrin had been saying. 
To him, this was a Jewish problem, and as long as Christ posed no threat to Rome or to Herod's territory, he wanted nothing to do with Christ. But in an effort to be humorous, though, Herod had his men dress Jesus in mock royal garments and sent him back to Pilate. The Bible tells us that Pilate still wanted nothing to do with this matter. Perhaps in part because his wife had come to him and said, have nothing to do with this man because I've suffered many things for him tonight in a dream. Still the Jews were persistent. The religious leaders were persistent. Pilate offered him, offered the Jews Passover amnesty. What happened every Passover, uh, Pilate would basically pardon a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner, and set him free. He offered that again, but the religious leaders had stirred the crowd into crying out for Barabbas, a revolutionary and a murderer. But see, we need to understand that this too was illegal because Pilate hadn't found Jesus guilty of anything. But he still gave in. And at this time, Pilate had Jesus scourged, hoping that it would appease the crowd. He's hoping even now that maybe I can get away without, without killing him. So he had him scourged. Scourging was done at a, at a pillar. And Tammy and I got to see several of these. It stood about three or four feet tall. And it had iron rings on one side so that, so that the, the, the victim was pretty much leaned over the pillar like, like this with his hands. And then the, the lictors, as, as they called him, stood behind him. More often than not, around that pillar was a, was a shallow trough that was dug to catch the blood and the skin and the flesh that was ripped from the person's body. As I said just a minute ago, a group of lictors often, well, a group of lictors were the one that issued the punishment, and there were usually six of them. They took turns. Usually after five or six whips, they'd trade off and they did this so that each man could inflict the maximum punishment and the maximum effect into the person being punished. So he had five or six guys that would wail into him one at a time and they'd just be rotating. The instrument they used was like a cat of nine tails. It was a short piece of wood with eight or nine strips of leather attached to it. And at the end of each piece of leather was a piece of bone, a piece of metal, or a piece of rock that tore and ripped the flesh as the lashes were inflicted. And oftentimes they, were, they tried to get pieces that were curved so that, that they could take the whip and hit them. It would sink into the body and when they pulled the whip back, it would just start ripping pieces of flesh away from the body. There were no rules given as to which body parts could be hit or since it was the Romans, how many lashes could be given. Probably after no more than three or four minutes, Jesus passed out. Well, the Romans had a way of dealing with that when they were punishing people. They'd throw cold water on them to revive them and then they'd start the punishment again. After this was done, a couple guards stood him up while another placed a crown of thorns on his head. And they mocked him. They bowed down before him. And they cried, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they continued to spit on him. They continued to slap him. By now, Jesus, more than likely, according to doctors, was, was in a state of shock. More than likely, based on the punishment that he'd gone through, unlike what we see in the movies, he probably wasn't recognizable to anyone. 
you could see, probably see that he was a man, but if anybody knew he was Jesus, they wouldn't have recognized him. When, they were done, when the Roman soldiers were done with this, they gave him his cross, forced him to climb up what would become known as the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross. Now keep in mind now that he had probably been awake for well over 24 hours. It had probably been well over 9 or 10 hours since he had anything to eat or drink, not to mention the enormous physical trauma that was, on, that was suffered to his body. So it was a wonder he was alive at all to be crucified. The Bible tells us that along the Via Della Rosa, along the road, he fell. And a man named Simon picked, was picked out of the crowd. He was picked out and forced to carry the cross of Christ up to Calvary to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Tammy and I had an opportunity to see that also. Well, they got him to Calvary. When he got there, they laid his cross down. They laid him on the cross. And then the Bible tells us that they pounded spikes through the bones in his hands or, or wrists and, and, and through his feet. And it, it I would dare say even somebody walking around in a state of shock would have had to have screamed out in pain with something like that happening. Then they raised up the cross and they dropped it in a hole that they used for that purpose. And, and again, the pain from the nails as well as the jarring from the dropping of the cross had to be overwhelming because you think they push that thing over, it drops in the hole and there's a hard stop and the whole body just shakes. The ancient Phoenicians had started the act of crucifixion. Historical records tell us that they, that, that they used to take rats and they would, they would nail rats to the wall for something to do. The Phoenicians started it, but the Romans perfected it. The real cruelty of the cross is the fact that though you could inhale, you could take breath in, the victim had to raise himself up to be able to exhale. Because the weight of the body hung so much, it was like you had, a, I guess, an elephant on your chest and you couldn't get your breath out unless, unless you stood up. Many times victims would pass out for, for a few seconds at a time only to be jarred back, back to consciousness by the need to get the air out of their lungs. And they would stay raised like this for as long as they could stand the pain in their feet. And when they couldn't take the pain in their feet any longer, they dropped down. And they quit breathing again. All during this time, we need to keep in mind that the arms, the shoulders, the pectoral muscles, all, just about all the muscles in the body would be spasming. It wasn't just a nice clean Jesus with a white loincloth and a couple of drips of blood coming down his head just standing there like we see in the movies. There was some pretty intense physical trauma going on here. The cause of death from crucifixion was always asphyxiation. In other words, they got to the point they just couldn't stand up anymore. They couldn't get that breath out, and they died. Sometimes it would take two or three days for a condemned person to die by crucifixion. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that from the sixth to the ninth hour, from, from noon to about three o'clock, in the afternoon, darkness covered the whole earth. Jesus Christ, He who was without sin, He who took on the sin of the world, and for the first time in eternity, for the first time in eternity, 
God could not look on him. Because the Bible tells us that a holy God cannot look on sin. That's why it got dark for those three hours. It's the first and only time in eternity that God the Father and God the Son had been out of each other's presence. The light of the world was covered with sin. Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now keep in mind, that wasn't God the Son speaking there. Let me back that up. (laughs) That was God the Son speaking there. But it was also Jesus the man speaking there. Around 3 o'clock that afternoon, now keep in mind the Passover is getting ready to come. Passover starts at at, at dusk. Around 3 o'clock the religious leaders were worried about, about people having to handle bodies during the Passover. If you handled a body during the Passover, you were considered unclean and so you couldn't participate in the Passover. So wanting to be good Jewish religious leaders, wanting everybody to, 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 to be worthy of partake, partaking in the Passover, they went to get permission to have the legs of all three men on the cross broken. Because if your legs are broken, you can't lift up to be able to breathe. But before they could return though, in spite of everything that he went through, in spite of all the torture, in spite of all the physical agony, in spite of being beaten to a pulp and beyond recognition, before they could return, Jesus Christ uttered the words that, re- that religious Jews there thought was a cry of defeat. But what our Lord and Savior meant as a shout of victory, as he hung on that cross, he shouted, It is finished. And in the Greek, that, that is actually one word, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, is called tetelestai. Tetelestai was a farmer's word. When a farmer had an animal born into his flock that was so beautiful that it seemed devoid of, of any imperfection uh, or, or, or defect, he would cry out tetelestai. Tetelestai was also an artist's word. When an artist created a painting or a sculpture and put the last finishing touches on it so that he could, so that he could see there was no need for, for correction or improvement, that artist would cry out, Tetelestai. But it was also a political and an economic word. Receipts for taxes during that time period have been found written in papyri, papyri which is what they used for paper back then, have been found with this one word written across the tax bill, tetelestai, which means paid in full. Jesus hung on that cross and He knew that He had accomplished what His Father wanted Him to accomplish. He knew that He had paid the price for your sin and my sin and the sin of everybody from Adam to the sin of everybody that's going to sin until Jesus comes back. And basically, he was crying out. He was acknowledging to the Father, Father, it's paid in full. Paid in full. Nothing else could satisfy holy God's demand for judgment. Not our good works, not deeds, not sacrifices, not money. The sin debt that wretched, sinful, holy man owed a holy God was satisfied by the blood payment of Jesus Christ. It is finished. Nothing else, no one else can bring man into a relationship with God. 
Not religion, not good works, not money, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Krishna, not being an American, not having Christian parents or relatives, not being a church member, not being baptized. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ could we have the word tetelestai written across our soul or spirit. For those of you this morning that don't know Him as the Lord and Savior, what else does He have to do to show you that He loves you? There's nothing else He can do. There's nothing else that can be done because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father but through me. For those of us that know Him, how can we not have a desire when we remember and we, we see exactly what he went through? How can we not have a desire to want to know him more? To want to be conformed more to his image? How can we not have a desire to serve him and to be used by him more than we're being used by him now? How can we not have the desire here five days, seven days before Easter to go out into the world and at the very least invite people to church so that they can come hear the gospel proclaimed and so that they too can receive the salvation that we've so freely received and have so freely been given? Paid in full. Jesus paid it in full. Jesus paid it all. Like the old hymn says. Jesus paid it all. All, all to him I owe. And having said that. I'll quote another old hymn to us. That know him. Is our all on the altar this morning. That wasn't the end of the story. I kind of got ahead of myself. Because three days later they went to the tomb. And guess what? It was empty. I've been to Calvary. I've been to the empty tomb. I've had the blessing of being in Israel. I've been to the empty tomb. And several years ago, I was able to go to Calvary. But you know what? It wasn't the first time I was there. 2002, 2004, whatever it was, that wasn't the first time I was at Calvary. Because I was there some 2,000 years ago. When he took John Hodgins' sin. Took it on himself. And he bled and he died. And he suffered the judgment and he suffered the punishment that I should be suffering. And he did it because he loved me. And he did it because he loves you. In fact, he loves you so much today. If you're here and you don't know him, you could be the only person that was ever born to this earth and Jesus would have went through the exact same thing so that you could be brought into a relationship with God the Father. What are we going to do with Christ this morning? If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, he wants you to come to him today. If we do know him, he wants us to conform more to his image today than, than we have been. But the final question, to, or the final statement really to be made is, is if you're here today and you don't know him, if you reject him, you're going to have to trample over the body of Jesus Christ to go to hell. And the Bible tells us that all who reject Jesus Christ will spend eternity in a real place the Bible called hell. What will you do with him now? After all he went through 
for us. Are we content to say, I don't want him? And for those of us that do know him, after all he's done for us, are we content to be where we are right now in our relationship with him? Are, are we content with half-hearted worship, half-hearted praise, coming to church when we want to, serving when we want to, living for, living for the world six days a week and, and putting on our Christianity mask on Sunday? With everything that he went through, how can we possibly continue, and I'm talking to me too, with everything he went to, how can we possibly, and this is for everybody in here, saved and unsaved, with everything he went through, how can we possibly be content to live our lives the way that we're living them today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. <clears throat>